0: Hello Food Chain, this is Sharon Chitonen. and I'm a food tech junkie and innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a weekly deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. Today's guest is my friend Louisa Burnwood-Taylor, head of media and research for AgFunder and chief editor of its news site AFN. She's a leader, a pioneer, an enabler and a force of nature. We'll dive into some truths of the status of the industry, look at trends, and where we are going as a system overall. This is a conversation I guarantee you don't want to miss. So here we go. Hello, everyone, and hello to Louisa Burnwood-Taylor, good friend, and one, I think, of the leading voices in agri-food tech um, around and she's been around obviously for many years. So Louisa, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. Um, making me feel a bit old there with that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, relatively a
1: <laughs> decade.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we are old in this, uh, in this decade because, you know, a lot of stuff is relatively new. So we are old timers, I believe.
1: Yeah, someone called me one of the OGs (laughs) the other day,
0: which was (laughs) kind of cool. (laughs) But it's true. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So um, for people that don't know, obviously, you head up the media and research division for AgFunder. You are um, co-founder, and obviously AgFunder has... um, a very particular, I think, model because you know, the communication bit is such a big part of it. Can you tell us how you got started, how you ended up building uh, the division for AgFunder and what AgFunder is? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so I'm not
0: technically a co-founder.
1: I, um, I joined um, AgFunder in 2015, but I, I am their first employee. Okay. Um, so it was founded by Rob LeClaire and Michael Dean. Uh, and they'd be working in an agriculture project out in Mali, in Africa. Um, and they you know, you know, always have struggled around like looking for funding for it. Um, there, was a, there was a coup in Mali, which kind of put um, the kibosh on the whole project overall. But when they were you know, working there, they were, they were looking at how agriculture really wasn't an, a destination for investors at that point, which is kind of crazy when you think about how significant the sector is is globally, and they really wanted to do something about that. Um, And at the same time, they were looking at this technological revolution that was going on in other industries, and it wasn't, it really wasn't happening um, in agriculture either, you know, we all know about that report that McKinsey put out um, around 2013 that said agriculture was the least digitized industry in the world. So, um, they wanted to do something about that. And they realized that education was going to be a key piece of it, just, you know, bringing um, to bring entrepreneurs and investors into this industry they needed to know about the opportunities that, that existed. So um, they had the idea to create a tech crunch for agriculture and that's where I came in. So I'm a, my background is in journalism. I'm a financial journalist. I've covered various different markets um, in my career. I started off uh, writing about structured bonds, which are as exciting as they sound. (laughs) And then I moved to Asia and I covered equities for a few years, which was um, uh, far more interesting. Um, And I was at the Financial Times for a bit, um, writing about institutional investment. And so I turned my attention to agriculture in 2013. And I was uh, responsible for founding the first publication focused on investing in agriculture. It was called Agri-Investor. And that was for a private media company. And so at the same time AgFunder was being launched, I had launched Agri Investor, and I knew Rob and Michael from those days, I'd written about AgFunder in the early days. And in 2015, they asked me to come on and help build out the, the new site and the media arm. So as i said, it was all about you know, educating people on the potential for innovation in food and agriculture, innovation and investment. So it started off being, you know, we covered every single deal that were there was in the space. And in 2013, there was this big deal, which was um, that Climate Corporation, a digital um, agriculture solution for farmers um, that was focused on weather in, in the early days uh, was acquired by Monsanto for a billion dollars. So you had this, this, this unicorn event um, that caused people to um, you know, take note and when I joined in 2015 it was a bit of a breakout year I remember there was this number for investment in agtech, which was like 4.8 billion and suddenly everyone was like oh okay this isn't I mean it's still a niche but it's not you know a tiny niche anymore like that's that's a decent amount of money um and really it's kind of grown from there um so we've evolved in the early days, we had this, this media platform, we were bringing subscribers on, you know, we're getting to the tens of thousands. Today we have um, nearly 100,000 uh, subscribers globally. And it got to a point where we were seeing all of these amazing companies um, coming through, um, you know, through our subscriber and through our network. And we suddenly thought we'd like to start investing in those. And so we went out to our network and we um, basically invited them to invest with us. And that's how we raised our first fund. Um, I think you could probably call it a micro fund. It was about two and a half million dollars, and then ever since then um we've just continued raising funds and they sort of seemed to be a trend was for them to double its size. so the next fund was five million and so on and then just recently um we held a first close on our fourth fund um, yep. at sixty million, and so our AUM now is about a hundred and 160 million overall so it's it's really kind of grown from there and we we took our members and our subscribers kind of with us on this journey
0: which uh you know yes uh, obviously fourth fund but not only you also have dedicated um plant alternative protein fund uh you have grow in asia So you definitely, you know, obviously grew so much both on the media part uh, and on the investment side, and sort of democratizing (laughs) the 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 investment side of food tech, uh, which I think it's uh, it's always been a very cool concept of you guys. Uh, So congrats, congrats on it all.
1: Yeah, it's it's really exciting, and I think with this this fourth fund, it's really. A breakaway moment for us and we all got together recently in San Francisco and managed to, to do a bit of celebrating because yeah you know it has taken yeah roughly roughly 10 years to get here um but I think that idea you know there's there's lots of examples of this um idea of democratizing investment and I think when you have an industry that was you know almost almost like a kind of white space in terms of investment um why should it be just the prevail of the large investors and the large corporates to invest in it um and especially when it's something so fundamental to human survival, like food, um, I think it makes sense that as many people as possible should be able to uh, take advantage of that and, and get involved.
0: Absolutely. Um, is there any specific area your, your forest fund cover at the moment? so
1: no yeah our fourth fund is going to be um general food tech and ag tech so farm to fork Mm -hmm. um across the supply chain yeah you mentioned that we do have new carnival which is our alternative protein fund that was a 20 million fund that closed um a couple of years ago and we have our grow impact fund out of asia that is an impact um investment fund um but that 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 one also invests kind of farm to fork but if you look at our portfolio today um I think we made about, I want to say 60 investments or something, you know, it's, it's actually a huge number. I can't even keep track, you know, I'm on the media side, but that's what the guys told me recently. There's about 60 uh, investments and it really is farm to fork. I mean, we have, you know, soil, um, microbe analysis kind of technology uh, yeah. all the way through to um, recent investments in uh, robotics for, for fast, um, fast food kind of chains, like, um, you know, the Chipotle line up that you would, you know, where you recognize where people put different bits into your bowl to build your Chipotle salad bowl. We, you know, there's like one company we invest in that's kind of automated a lot of that. So um, yeah, absolutely. Kind of farm to fork and, and fund for should be, should be the same.
0: And obviously, I mean, we've seen a lot of, uh, on, uh, new technologies uh, from now till then um so from when you started in 2013 uh, you know we've seen a lot of trends appear and fade and um what are the the new trends and buzzwords for 2021 and 2022
1: i think in 2021 a major um buzzword if you could call it that was carbon mm-hmm. so anything anything related to carbon um, was a buzzword, and, and as well as regenerative agriculture, um, you know. And it's it's having first written about regenerative agriculture back in in twenty fourteen, and and I was so excited by this concept. I thought um, this sounds fantastic. And every time I wrote about it, it never got the the reads that it does today. So you know, it's exciting when you see. Something like that become, you know, enter the kind of public vernacular and, and have yeah. people talking about it. There's also obviously there's concern that it's being um, that it's being misused or it's it's being not being defined in the right way. Um, so that you know that's what happens with buzz t- buzz terms. But hopefully, there's a lot of a lot of folks, you know, um, looking at it and, and creating solutions across the of agriculture and carbon that are beneficial. I think a lot of the science is still very early Mm -hmm. um particularly on the kind of carbon sequestration front um so I think there is a bit of time will tell which I know is a really annoying thing to say as a journalist I hate it when people say that because you've got much more kind of uh clear um answers to things um but those are certain the buzzy areas at the moment and um you know with that becomes concerns around things
0: being overhyped absolutely and I think uh in general, the world—the word regeneration has uh, has taken over in the last, you know, four years um, a lot more than sustainability, right? As we need to regenerate and not sustain. Um, and- exactly, and it's a positive movement, you know, and it's necessary.
1: Absolutely, it's necessary. It's a positive movement, but I think you can also get people jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. Um, you know, you've seen technologies and um, you've seen startups say that they are regenerative agriculture startups, um, you know, and they have like a drone platform or yeah. they have uh, a, um, a sea and spray robot or something. And you're, it's a bit of a loose link. And you're like, well, hang on. How is that uh, related to regenerative agriculture?
0: So, um, yeah, just something for people to watch to watch for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um... Couldn't agree with you more. There's a lot of noise, and you know, words have an impact, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So, as a journalist, obviously, um, and you, obviously, with all of your reports, you're you're dealing with a lot of topics and issues, and I think one of the things in in the community. Um, that is slowly getting better at is really delving into the nuances of each topic, which I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's exactly, you know, sort of what we were saying. If you want to promote innovations that can make a positive impact, um, we can't really overlook at the system as a whole. Um, so what are what are some of these nuances that you think are being overlooked or you know, where we have sort of have tunnel vision or, um, you know, because it's a fad, we sort of all put, you know, go in that one direction without looking at the bigger picture, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think, you know, an obvious one is around plant-based foods and plant-based meat alternatives. You know, there was um, a lot of marketing that goes out there that says, you know, eating plants is good and eating meat is bad and it's um, highly oversimplifying yeah. um, that, you know, and the impact of those different um, ways of growing, uh, you know, meat or protein products. Um, overall, of course, we we do all have to eat less meat and industrialized meat, um, you know, has, has a lot to answer for. Um, but also, you know, when you look at like the uh, greenhouse gas emissions, of the US, it's only about 10% of um, all greenhouse gas emissions in the US, which sometimes it can be quite surprising for people. Um, You know, they do have a lot of those central um, feedlot operations, but a lot of their meat industry is actually very efficient when it comes to carbon footprint, uh, despite those horrific conditions. So you have this kind of what's the the humane way of raising animals and then you have what is the the most efficient in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and I think those kind of nuances so if you look at the efficiency of the industry in some countries versus others they could be completely different so that's one thing then it's what is the um, what is the greenhouse gas emissions and and kind of natural impact of growing crops again if you're monocropping certain crops that means generally that means um, you're going to be having um, a lot more synthetic inputs applied that can then go into water streams and so on so you know it it really depends how these things are done and it's so different for different countries or field by field you know different regions and I think these kind of broad brushed um, marketing campaigns that you know it's really tricky because it's you know we're in this industry. I'm still learning. I mean, I've been in this industry for 10 years now, which seems like a decent amount of time. I still am only scratching the surface with what I understand about the food and agriculture industry. So how, by the same token, can you expect consumers to understand, you know, within a few minutes when they're making a purchasing decision at a supermarket? So there is a certain amount of oversimplification, simplification, not oversimplification, simplification that needs to go on. However, oversimplification that is dangerous because then people jump on a certain bandwagon and buy soy-based meat alternatives and they don't necessarily understand what went into growing that soy and maybe it was um, not done in a sustainable way. So this is just one example of a nuance. Um, I don't think I know what the solution is there. I think this is what we're going to be hopefully talking a bit about uh, this summer with you and and with our peers and and how to kind of create um, ecosystems that make sense in this front. You know, another area of nuance, and I, and I you know, I, I seem to be going for the alternative protein space, which is something that I've been talking about, thinking about with people, but it's yeah. also in, in in cellular agriculture and um, what also just all kind of innovative food where, where companies are generating um, IP um, and they are, you know, inventing different ways of producing foods and so on. Um, you know, something to think about nuance-wise there is that um, maybe they are helping to replace a damaging form of agriculture. But at the same time, they're creating, um, you know, IP that is owned by a company and ultimately could then get bought by a large food company. Um, and then you've still got all this power with these large corporations around our food system. Um, and there's no shared ownership of that, of that, of that IP. So you have good intentions then becoming, again, something that is sort of the preserve of, of large corporations controlling the whole food system again and at the same time you are marginalizing people that are raising cattle maybe they've got small scale uh cattle farming um you know in emerging markets for instance um so you know it's really tricky it's it's really really tricky and i think these are the nuances that we try to kind of dig into a little bit um and and i see increasing kind of reporting taking some of these 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 turns um but, yeah, it's, it's, it can be very polarizing, of course.
0: Yeah, I think humans are, you know, very often linear in their thinking, right? So they never, you know, were very good at, you know, solving one problem uh, full speed ahead. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you created two more two different problems. And I think that's something that we have to definitely be mindful of. And you brought, you know, it's what are those unexpected consequences? We really, if we want to change our food system and you know, change the the impact it's having on our climate, on our health, um, on uh, there are so many issues, right? We need to start focusing more about how to do things properly and I agree with you with plant-based, you know, it's about resiliency and supply chain. It's about sustainability and sourcing the ingredients. Um, And then often I I wonder, is it healthier to, for me to eat, you know, uh, filet mignon, I don't know, like from a regenerative farm, you know, with, um, you know, cattle, grass-fed cattle, or is it um, a plant-based, you know, soy and whatever else, uh, industrially grown burger. You know what I mean? Of uh, course, it's, and, there's, and there's just bits in between as well.
1: So yeah. um, there's with been, with the Ukraine war um, and the crisis around um, fertilizer supply, for instance, yeah. I've been listening to a lot of interesting reports about what type of types of crops can be grown with less fertilizer. And there's a general kind of uh, theory that, well, I I think it's general understanding that growing corn requires more fertilizer than soybeans, for instance. But just beans and legumes in general, um, you know, can be grown with less fertilizer and can actually be um, quite beneficial for for the soils. You know, they're often um, used as as cover crops. You have legumes. So then it's like, oh, should we all be eating more beans? Well, I know that beans do not sit right with me. Like they, they just my my gut is not is not a big fan of beans, and I think actually a lot of beans can be quite hard for people to digest. So then you get into that whole kind of thing around personalised nutrition. Okay, so what are the best foods that we should be eating from like a planetary perspective? But then what are what can individual people actually what can they stomach and what can they eat? Um, and that kind of throws in a whole other nuance around um, around individuals.
0: Absolutely, and. Really about biodiversity. I mean, at the end of the day, we've been eating five crops mainly. Uh, <laughs> there's right. much more to be grown, right, and diversified, and and I think also locally. I you know between deals and and things that are more geopolitical than anything else. Um, and you know with globalization, it's more about the the, the export maybe of. Of certain ingredients, instead of saying, "What well, can people produce m- more locally?" Another thing that I don't understand is how does, you know, uh, an apple, an organic apple from the farm next door, cost more than a pineapple that is shipped all the way from South America, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you go into true cost accounting. So there is so much out there; uh, it makes my head explode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But I know exactly. I mean, and with COVID, this this idea of more localized supply chains um, and more localized food production, you know, really kind of um was brought to, to everyone's attention. Uh, you know, and if you think about how are those going to be created, who's going to fund those local supply chains? You know, if I put my VC hat on, I'm not a VC investor, but I, you know, my colleagues are, um, is that going to be a big enough, you know, market potential to invest in a local um, I don't know, logistics company, a local farm, something that's looking just, just to supply that um, that local region. So then that's just, that's another, um, you know, area of, kind of concern or a question mark is is how are these going to get built out? Who's gonna fund them?
0: Absolutely, and how does policy then integrate with that? Because it can't just be up to, um, I think the, the private companies or funds or, <laughs> least of all the farmer, right? Uh, they always take the, you know, the sort of the end of the, the shaft, um, but we need to, to look at also how policy um, can truly innovate for yeah. good, at least I think. And with all of this, um, I think that the important media plays overall is crucial. Um, I mean, both on the consumer side and on the, um, you know, private sector side you know, the com- the B2B side, and you as a journalist know this more than anybody. Um, so how do you, st- what is the role of communications? What should be done and, you know, how should we, um, I mean, there are two different things, right? B2B and consumers, but consumers will drive change. What is the role of media in your opinion? Well,
1: hopefully it's to, well, first of all, it's, it's uh, what, where I see that we sit and what's always driven me as being the education piece, probably because I've been writing about a, a space that people didn't, you know, most people um, were not that familiar with. Yes. um so you were educating about a new industry and a new opportunity and a lot of it came in the early days it's a bit kind of cheerleadery, if I do kind of admit it myself it was like look at these amazing opportunities everyone should get involved but now it's about evolving that coverage um making sure that we're being more critical more analytical um you know today we can't possibly cover every single deal that comes through across food tech and ag tech like with the old days so now we've had to adjust our editorial strategy um to try and focus on sure like the bigger deals because those are the ones that people want to more and more people want to read about and of course we want to think about getting traffic to the site but also thinking what's you know the most interesting what, picking up on something that looks a little bit unique or something that um, we think people can learn from. So whether it's we delve into who the investors are in a certain deal or what is the business model here? I think speaking to like what we've been talking about throughout this whole conversation is how these a lot of these innovations need different approaches. And there isn't like a one size fits all cookie cutter approach um, for all of the challenges faced across food and agriculture, just because it's so complex by region, by food type, by, you know, by, um, by people. So um, we, I think delving into business models and really analysing what works and what doesn't, who's the, who's the customer for some of these technologies. You talked about how farmers often bear the brunt. And I think in the early days of farm tech, it was the assumption that farmers are gonna pay for all these technologies. Well, I mean, if most of them probably can't afford it when you think about some of the margins out there. So actually what's been really interesting is watching how business models have adjusted to make it be, actually it might be the food companies that are now paying to digitize the farms that they get their, their products from um and that's that's really interesting so i think trying to delve a little bit deeper than just hey look this deal has happened how great look at these investors um it's something that we're thinking all the time about we are so welcome to feedback so anyone listening you want us to write about something you want us to dig into something please let us know because um you know we're still adjusting you know it's fantastic there's so much more coverage from some awesome other media companies out there looking at food tech and ag tech now which is great So it really helps us um cover as much as we can, but digging into those nuances um, that we talked about earlier and just telling the stories of, of the people behind some of these innovations and the people that these innovations are impacting, I think that's, that's what the media can do. So no small task.
0: <laughs> no. not at all. And with a different type of language, it's also, I think what we said before with consumers, you know, we oversimplify things uh, a little too much um but we yes just... trying
1: not to do that yeah trying to educate and I guess this has always been like the challenge of being a journalist but it's always been something I've kind of quite enjoyed is getting these complicated uh, complicated you know innovations or technologies or situations and trying to make them communicate is that the right word, (laughs) trying to make them, you know, readable and understandable and have people kind of be able to relate to them, Um, condense them in a way that is not oversimplified, but gives, you know, enough detail. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And I always say to my reporters, don't shy away from getting into the technology and really explaining how it works. Um, And people are, you know, are usually pretty, pretty um, helpful, you know, if you want to delve into how exactly gene editing works, I've had backs and forths with many, um, many comms people and many sources out there who have been very patient with me to try and help me understand. But yeah, just don't treat the readers like dumb readers, you know, Mm -hmm. try and respect the reader and give them as much information as you can in a conceivable way, you know, without writing like a research paper.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think there are some very gifted individuals that can take also the most complex of topics. And make them understand, like to people like me, which I'm not a scientist. I'm always in awe of when that happens, because um, you mm-hmm. get to to enjoy what you know you, what's out there, you know. And I think mm-hmm. people will enjoy knowing more once they understand that again. You know, as you said, in a in a simple way, but in a truthful way. Exactly,
1: and I think that's I think that's you know. The role of communications people in in ag tech and you know um, particularly on the biotech side or biofoods I think it's important not to repeat the mistakes of the past when you think about GMOs and and the fallout there um, a lot of the um, a lot of the issue there was that people were not prepared people didn't understand what this new technology was um, I think you know oftentimes, quite rightly you know a scientist might marvel in their invention they've done something amazing they've literally you know kind of changed uh, the world forever with their invention but maybe did not take um consumers along with that and explain exactly what goes into certain technologies so certain amazing innovations um may be tainted by the brush of um you know when a technology has been applied in a negative way but there might be potential for it to be applied in a positive way and I think that's where we are kind of with the whole genetic engineering um kind of paradigm at the moment is that there are certainly um some ways that that technology can be used in a positive way and I know that's a controversial thing to say but just recently that, the you proof? know I was hearing a hearing about um you know crops with better nutritional density, you so know, tomatoes that are that are better for you, for instance, mm-hmm. um, or that have a longer shelf life. Um, so I think that communication piece is so essential. I really do call upon all the companies, um, particularly in the biotech sphere, just to make sure that they are communicating as well as they can um, with consumers and being as transparent as possible, um, just to avoid there being a backlash later, which obviously could set you know, technological progress back decades.
0: Indeed. Uh, I think that is, uh, on many topics, right. Um, fear, you know, uh, people are afraid of what they don't know. Of course. Uh, yeah. You know, even with just, uh, you know, with, um, you know, biotech and, you know, cell ag it's, you know, how do you write about it in a way that, you know, doesn't throw people off, um, because it, it is, you know for uh, people might be curious but other people might just be so weirded out and it's really about making them understand that you know it's okay to do something differently as long as you do it well um yeah
1: yeah and informing them so they can make their own choice you know
0: of course of course
1: they if they still decide to stay away from from um a gm or edited crop then absolutely that's up to them but i think ensuring that they have as much information as they can to make that decision.
0: Yeah. And also, I, you know, with uh, genomics, for example, and plant breeding, it's also about mitigating certain conditions that uh, are present due to climate change. So, you know, there is many aspects, right? There is nutrition aspects. There is the uh, growing and potentially being able to, to feed, you know, um, you know, your area with, with that crop if this condition, the, you know, media conditions are uh, not there, uh, there is, a you know, the climate has such a huge impact between, you know, droughts and fires. And I mean, that year, like COVID started was like, unbelievable between the wildfires, the derecho, which I've mm. never heard whatever that was, you know, uh, <laughs> everywhere with, you know, droughts and, you know, we start need to um, to. We can use technology to to improve things. Um, I think we are at a point of no return. At least in my my opinion, we we have to do things the right way at this point, but still be Absolutely. aware of those unintended consequences.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it is quite scary without you know being too doom and gloom because uh, I am a you know opportunist not opportunist optimist <laughs> optimist is the right word <laughs> um but yeah I am an optimist but you know I was at the World Agritech Summit in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and and the wonderful Sarah Menka from Grow Intelligence did a presentation at the beginning of the first day and what she was highlighting she was looking at the impact of the Ukraine war um you know on the supply of wheat for instance which yeah. is also looking at the impact of drought um and the drought in the west in the west of the U.S. is like the worst in thousands of years I think or a thousand years or something and um I mean, ever on record. I mean, it's just prolonged, it's continuing. And it means that the, the supply of winter wheat, for instance, is going to be down about, I mean, i don't know, 20, 30%. And then you exacerbate that with the Ukraine war um, and drought in other regions too, which are similarly at historical levels. And, you know, you're looking at a situation that there could be, um, you know, geopolitically, some quite, um, you know, terrifying famines and, and hungers. That also lead to um, revolts and revolutions and wars, wars. and so on. So, um, you know, the, if that's not, does not make people sort of stand up and notice and, and make things um, urgent for them, then I don't know what will, you know, and trying to kind of spin positively on it. It is making people stand up and notice and think about the food system. And by by turn, you know, I mean, that's bringing them into our space and thinking about innovations and food and how they can can support those.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's where we're at, at the, in the world right now. And so again, like so, so we're talking about um, this transition that we're hoping uh, to bring out. And obviously, the role uh, of major corporations is crucial. Uh, I always say it's, it's them, first and foremost, that even slowly need to do the you know the biggest shift um because they're the ones feeding the planet and in the recent years we've seen major commitments being made so and i also think you know there is a difficulty to that right Uh, a real difficulty into implementation to to achieve you know that bigger vision how can you know the the system Uh, help them? What do you think it's missing um, to, you know, to shift, you know, those that at the end of the day are feeding most of us?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've actually started tracking um, some of these corporate commitments. My, my colleague Jennifer Marston has done a great job of of pulling a lot of them together, you know, where there's been a net zero commitment, or um, a, a commitment to transition acres to, regenerative agriculture Um, we've just was just starting to to kind of track those so we're going to be reaching out to the all the corporates on those lists and and finding out how their progress is so it's hard for me to to speak to that I mean it's difficult because you know there's obviously going to be some very well-intentioned people in these corporates that want these commitments to work Um, of course they are and an interesting kind of little little snippet is that you know a lot of um, the sustainability officers at companies actually tend to be women um, so it's quite it's it's quite an amazing kind of moment potentially for women to um, to have a big impact in these roles as sustainability and ESG has become increasingly important for companies. Um, not just being the right thing to do, but in terms of being public companies, public market yes. investors are all looking for ESG uh, stocks to invest in, so they've kind of had to do this. Um, and women have typically been in, in those roles, um, so it's a great moment for them. But you know, then there's always the concern that the corporates are because of those ESG needs and the ESG investors that they want to keep a hold of, that there's an element of greenwashing going on. So this is why they, you know, we do need to kind of hold them accountable. Um, I, you know, I don't really know what is the best approach for them to take. I'm not a sustainability, you know, expert or, or officer. I would hope that they are reaching out to relevant um, entrepreneurs that are creating innovations that can help them. Um, you know, you do see some, some partnerships um, time again I think we have one of our portfolio companies Centera has partnered with AB Indev um, on you know monitoring barley and how they're growing it they have a drone technology and analytics platform so they're helping them to um, be more efficient with with how they're growing their barley whether it's to you know save different inputs on that so you know we are seeing some partnerships like that coming up. Um, which I think is really cool and and really interesting. It's you know it's great value for the for the startup because it's giving them a huge well known right. customer and lots of acres to test on, um, and you know it's it's obviously filling a gap that these big corporates don't have in house in terms of technological ability, but also potentially kind of agricultural understanding um, and so on. So you know it's again time will tell, but i um, you know you could definitely can see some, some positive movements, but just don't know how much they're moving the needle just yet.
0: Yeah. And speaking of that, um, since we brought the entrepreneurs into the (laughs) conversation, um, um, you recently released in a 2022 AgFunder agri-food tech investment report. So what are some of the key takeaways in terms of, you know, growth and, um, you know, how money's being poured into these different innovation areas and, um, obviously yeah. things that we're you know we're seeing obviously grocery is an alternative protein but tell us a little bit about you know yeah these key takeaways
1: great well thanks for the opportunity to promo our report <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> it's um, a lot of blood sweat and tears go into these reports I tell you and, and we like to call them our love letter to the industry um, but I mean it was I mean it's extraordinary how much funding across food check and I think 51 Uh, billion dollars well nearly 52 billion dollars invested in 2021 and as you rightly mentioned you know a significant amount of that went into e-grocery um about 18 billion went into e-grocery um which, you know, on the back of the pandemic, these, these platforms have just ballooned and we all still use them. Um, I think, you know, even though, um, you know, a lot of them are quite similar, there's definitely a bit of an impact uh, theme for some of them there, you know, in China, which is where a, a lot of the funding for e-grocery came from, or some of the biggest deals. A lot of these um, platforms are actually kind of group buying, and they're actually enabling uh, Chinese Um, citizens of kind of more remote areas or or of countryside regions to kind of group together to be able to to purchase some good fresh produce. So it's really interesting um, how those are coming together. But other areas that have been bigger, you mentioned innovative food, which is our category in which um, all protein sits, cloud retail, so cloud kitchens, dark stores, and that whole area is interesting, particularly as it um, makes it much easier for people to kind of launch uh, a restaurant, essentially. There's no physical restaurant but they have a, a restaurant brand um and they have a cuisine um so it's quite an interesting way to 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 yeah give people give consumers a um, much more choice around what they want and help people build businesses that way so that was another area of of large investment over the last few years we have seen a lot more in the midstream so within the, the supply chain the missy middle which um is typically being very opaque uh lots of middlemen have been operating. I mean, I lived in New York um, for several years, and I was just amazed at what, how poor the quality of the produce would be in the grocery stores in the city, um, even though it's an ag- agricultural state. There's just so many hands, I think, that it would just pass through before it got to those local grocery stores. So there's a lot of innovations there around um, making those, those processes of buying Um, more efficient for retailers so a lot of digital tools there as well Um, a lot in you know there's starting to be more around automation and and robotics kind of in food processing and I think that's really interesting I mean there's there's so much to happen in that midstream so at the moment it's a bit of a a messy category for us we might need to try and split it out at some point but that received nearly four billion dollars of investment. Um, then ag biotech, that piece we were talking about earlier, which includes genetic technologies, also includes microbial discoveries, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of alternatives to synthetic inputs that are uh, using microbes for, to help control pests on farm or to help um, promote crop growth. Um, that category received $2.6 billion of investment. Um, in previous years, it's been around two or even 1 billion. So every category pretty much increased um, in investment. It's, it's really quite remarkable.
0: Yeah, like you go, I, I think uh, I, sometimes I just look at all the investment deals of the week and I take out the calculator from the, my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Old school technology. Full-school <laughs> technology yeah and you know sometimes i'm like holy crap you know it's in uh one week like billions um so because when you get these very large deals but on the other end of that uh, what i think we're seeing and this is something i definitely want to talk about uh also in june is we are seeing very young companies that get massive evaluations so you know even there, I think there is a nuance to discuss, uh, you know, what is uh, what's happening in the investment side. It's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting, you know, but needs to be very, you know, clear, you know, look at, you know, also what is, you know, possibly, um, you know, is it helping or hurting, right? When you see such young companies get gazillion dollars um, and becoming, you know, over unicorns overnight and maybe they're not structured yet, right? Because after you get, you know, once you're up, there's nobody place to go, but further up, right? So- Right, right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think one of the concerns and maybe now that, you know, this is such a big industry in terms of venture capital, but I think some of the concerns in the past about, um over inflated kind of expectations and overhyped categories is that we're going to see large failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, we had a, a great article by Henry Gordon Smith from Agritecture um, mm-hmm. at the end of last year around vertical farming. Um, and how um you know there are many in the industry that think that vertical farming might be headed for the trough of disillusionment, which is the, the Gartner hype cycle if anyone wants to check it out. You know, there's been several years of peak um, inflated expectations around yeah around indoor farming um you know i I absolutely think it's going to become and should become um you know a decent portion of how our food is grown of our like farmland let's say in inverted commas um but some of these companies the way they've they the valuations they've gotten have actually been kind of almost based on their access to funding so it's almost like the bigger round that they can raise the bigger they're valued at because they know they can then secure those investors ahead of other vertical farms so that means that next time they can get more funding again um it's been based on kind of that ability to raise capital more than actually produce food yeah, um, and based on you know and of course in the early days it's not going to be based on revenues it's based on an idea and so on um, but anyway, the long and the short is that, you know, there's always been this concern in agri-food tech that if you've got too much hype and, and overheated categories, it's going to create some massive failures. And then the fear is that investors will then flee, you know, and never come back to food tech and agri-tech and we'll go back to like the dark ages of wherever we were before,
0: um, <laughs> you
1: know. There's less concern about that now, I think, but um, you know, you still, I think, we're, we're absolutely will we see some big failures. You see those in every industry, but I think that two two of the areas that are kind of primed for that are probably alternative protein and, and indoor ag. Um, when you think about where some of the valuations are today,
0: yeah, and then we go back to the nuances and uh, you know the communication. See, it's all tied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, but with the investment side, um you know, also we I think that the bit at first, it was m- mostly like those big numbers coming from the u s. But um obviously, in recent uh, years, Asia's, you know grown significantly um, Europe. Um, but we've also seen lately,, um, you know, I think, some great investments in Africa that I was, uh, they, you know, reported on. Where do you think will be the next great innovation hub? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I mean, it's been
1: interesting to see how it's been split globally, actually, because the US was sort of 50% and then now it's about 40%, or well, the Americas is about 40%, so including South America. Um, I mean, I think. Because it's obviously you know a very globally relevant industry, and you've got food and agriculture hubs all over the world. It's not like Silicon Valley for technology, um, you know. You need to have the technologies produced near to where they're going to be used, which yes. is on the farms and in the food systems. So it's it is very globally um, diverse and distributed. Um, Asia is, is doing a great job around alternative proteins and, and indoor ag as well. When you look at how developed Japan is, for instance, for, for vertical farming, um, I think Latin America is, is, a, is a big area that's kind of ripe for more um, innovation and investment. Obviously, it's a ginormous agricultural market there. Um, and obviously, you know, big population numbers too. So I think we are starting to see more there. We're also, it's quite, it's quite exciting. We're starting to see you know, more US-based investors investing in uh, South America. You know, we have at agfunder um, Acre Ventures have, Four Line Capital have invested in you know, um, countries like Argentina, which are typically been quite kind of risky when you think about the political situation and, and the potential um, leadership changes or the cha- leadership changes that there have been. Um, so I think that's really um, one to watch. And then you mentioned Africa. Uh, you know, obviously hugely diverse continent. We've started tracking that a lot more now. We've um, had some grant funding from FMO and CDC to cover more of the innovations that are going on there. And what's really interesting is that it's, the startups have to take a slightly different approach. If you think about farm tech, um, you know, the farm base that they are targeting is, is, is often very different to what it is in developed markets. They're much more small scale farmers. Um, and they have different needs, and getting the technologies into their hands often requires that the startups do more than just that, like irrigation technology, let's say. They actually need to potentially become a fintech platform as well, provide credit to those farmers to then. Adopt Boy. the technology and purchase it. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how some of those innovations shake out, and if there's potential for them to be exported to other maybe emerging market regions. Um, one category that's been quite big in Africa in recent months, and you and I think you mentioned Apollo Agriculture was um, agribusiness marketplaces. So get getting farmers access to the inputs and the tools that they need. Um, and aggregating the, their demand so that they can kind of capture the attention of bigger organizations that have the technologies they want so they can get higher quality uh, technologies and inputs. Um, I think we're going to see more of those marketplaces and they've also been cropping up in, in countries like India as well. And um, yeah, yeah. I and mean, I mean, India is, 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 you know, has been a sort of, uh, you know, solid and significant ag tech ecosystem yeah. for many years.
0: Absolutely. And you know, and I think, well, Africa at least has some of the um at least for Europe, you know, like some of the biggest challenges, but I think some of the greatest opportunities um for growth. Um I mean it's it's uh it's a continent that you know, everybody sort of has their eye uh, on, um, but I think at least for me, that it really needs help from from inside, right? Not not so much mm-hmm. from the outside, but more from the inside. Mm-hmm. It's, how can we sort of fast track innovation in a more systemic way? You know, because you know we're able to see, you know, the the various. Um, you know these various correlations like you sort of put them all in a you know on a piece of paper and then you need to connect the dots right so how can we do that more as a system and less as you know each own you know each one for themselves in a way you think Uh,
1: that's that's a good question (laughs) I mean I'm hoping you're going to tell me in June (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping try. that's what we're, getting, we're going to discover uh, <laughs> in June together. I mean, it, you know, a lot of it's around learn. It's a lot around around sharing, sharing lo- learnings, isn't it? You know, and I, and I come back to that bit about the IP, for instance, around biofoods and, and biotechnology being owned in a few hands. I know there's certainly been calls in the in the cultivated meat space to kind of try and share some of those um, discoveries to be able to accelerate the industry faster. Um, but it's just that's obviously gonna be at odds with the venture capital um backed industry, where of course investors want you to to own your own your technology rights um so that you can compete in, and outperform and so on. Um but I think yeah, as as much as we can to kind of share learnings yeah. um and educate people about how how you know how things have worked or don't work, you know, sharing failures. I always ask. Yeah, um, entrepreneurs if they have had a failure to, to share it and be open about it and, and Danielle Gould our mutual friend she used to host those failed Fridays which I think were super cool we'd get people to yeah exact, do exactly that so that everyone can try and um to kind of innovate faster and not have to both have, not have to all repeat the same mistakes.
0: But that is a great idea I think you know, I think at the end of the day, it's you know, let's try to be honest with one another. It can't all be perfect. You know, it's so easy to you know go up on a podium and tell how wonderful things are. But the reality is, you know, a lot of times we can learn so much more, um, you know, from failures or from having, you know, these honest conversations and saying, you know, not not everything's, but we we can get there. You know, I don't know perfection, but we can get there. Um, Mm. we need to do it Mm. um, you know more together than apart I think we're at that point
1: yeah and I think just generally we need to be kind to each other I'm just thinking (laughs) about you know I've probably said various things in this conversation that has offended someone I've said something slightly inaccurate or you know um, I mean this is such a complicated industry that you, you know you can things that you say could be misconstrued so easily. Um, And it's very polarizing and people are very impassioned because we're talking about how we survive and what we eat. Um, We're talking about our morals and our principles and so on. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of us are gonna have more in common than we don't have in common, especially if we're working towards a better food future. So I think being kind to people and giving people like a bit of a break sometimes. i you know so many people just instantly jump where they can to criticize something someone's put on LinkedIn or Twitter. I even had it, you know, on my LinkedIn the other day. I mean, not big criticisms, but you know, little bits here. And there. say, well, actually that data point is not hundred percent correct. I'm like, okay, I mean, you know, I'm trying. So I think overall just kindness, trying to share and, and help people um, because ultimately I think we're all kind of trying to go in the same direction.
0: Absolutely. And we can't be, uh, you know, experts that Everything, especially, you know, we have scientists for the science, you know, as a journalist, you report, you're not expected to be, you know, uh, in a lab doing genomics. It's, uh, it's really about, as we said at the beginning of the conversation, we're still learning. And yeah. uh, And it's really... I bring
1: people together, bring yeah. those different disciplines together. Yeah. I think, again, yeah, that's really, really important. Making sure we have space, hold space. For those different disciplines to be able to communicate with one another, and it can be challenging, you yes. know, speaking not speaking the same language as a scientist, as a as a communicator, as you know, an entrepreneur can often be very different language. So providing that space, which I think is what you're going to be doing in June. Yeah, so I don't know why I'm I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> in your event, but I'm really excited about it. I think we uh, <laughs> sure. to okay. find all the answers there. <laughs>
0: wonderful so they should just apply if you think you have the solution then apply <laughs> <laughs> i'll podcast myself. so louisa what are you working on right now and what's next for you and Funder?
1: um well on the media side um slowly you know building out the team a bit which is exciting um you know we talked a bit about what are the needs of. And- media in this space today and um, just really working to hopefully bring new format, new media formats to our audience, um, to our, you know, delve into bigger stories um, and, you know, have more of a global footprint. We've actually um, recently hired a new reporter based in, in Africa, so I'm looking to maybe do more in Latin America, so if anyone wants to kind of get involved in that and, and really, you know, making sure this is a very, um, global, you know, news service for us. And then, um, you know, on the fund side there, you know, we be raising more funds um, as the future goes on and, and always looking for, you know, the best um, transformational companies out there. Um, so hopefully it's kind of more of the same, but, but better.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll do exactly that. And, uh, you know, other than being a wonderful uh, individual. You know, your work has been, uh, you know, under everybody's uh, eyes for, you know, as we said, a decade. And we all have to thank you for that. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, since we're, you know, basically out of time, um, where should they find you? LinkedIn, uh, follow you on social. Last shout out for you.
1: Um, Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. There's no, there's no other Louisa Burwood-Taylors in the world, so <laughs> it can be found. <laughs> Quite a unique name. Um, but yeah, reach out on any, on any platform. And as I said, always, always willing to hear feedback and, and have ideas from people. And that we, you know, I'm so grateful to the audience that we've built um, and for sticking with us. I really hope we continue to, to add value.
0: You will indeed. Thank you so very much. Want to deep dive into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkie series. Tune in and listen to the industry's champion whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet and our daily lives. For more great content, visit our website at www.edibleplanetventures.com and follow us on social media on the Edible Planet Ventures channels.